When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. The Grateful Dead are among the most unlikely stars in the history of rock and roll. They created a culture and became one of the most famous bands in the world on their own terms. They toured relentlessly, made things up as they went, and didn't care about making mistakes. They never cared about being famous and would probably even hate me for calling them stars in this monologue. In this trippy episode of Prisoners of Rock and Roll, we're taking a look at the Grateful Dead, the music, the drugs, the bootlegs, the deadheads, their impact on music, their legacy, and what it's like seeing them in concert. So turn on, tune in, and drop out. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Prisoners of Rock and Roll, episode number 44. My name is Bruce Kramer, and I'm here at the mic tonight with my co-host, my partner in crime, the dancing bear himself, Ryan McCusker. Are you rocking out May the four winds blow you safely home. The dancing bear. The dancing bear. Yeah, that sums (laughs) me up pretty well. You know. Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia, and we are a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. We are a yeah. two-man operation today. That's all right. We're going to uh, talk about the dead. Yeah, I like to think that I know a lot about the history of it, so I think I'd, maybe we could put a good show on. Yeah, Doug, we had some you know, we had some scheduling conflicts. Doug couldn't be with us tonight, and in interest of skipping another two weeks, I mean, we did the whole episode last the last episode, and we talked all about how we were going to stick to a schedule and everything. So we figured just to do it. Um, you know, the quality may sound a little different. We're doing this remotely for the first time, but whatever we lack in the awesome audio quality, we will make up for it with all of our insight and entertainment and all of the great stuff that brings you to listen to us every two weeks. 
you know, I'm just glad that I have the gift of gab. You know, yeah, man. Like, you know, like, totally. Yeah. Um, let me get right off the bat, Bruce. What do you think of when you first hear the name The Grateful Dead? The concerts, the live concerts. Yes. Yes. The, uh, you know, I, I know you're a fan. You like them. But me, I'm a cult following dude for the Grateful Dead. I got a huge Grateful Dead tattoo on my leg. It's a very big deal to me. It's a very, um, I don't know, I, I would have to say it's very important to me. Like, I won't miss the show for anything. Yeah, so you would they were yeah, just, you're you are and you're way more of a diehard than I am. I'm I'm kind of more of a casual fan. Um but I know this has been on the on the list for a while and when you brought this up I was like, Man, this has gotta be to you the way like the Springsteen episode was to me. You know, I, I know I know how much oh, they yeah. mean to you. I, yeah. They do, but it's like you know, I've been seeing forms of the Grateful Dead probably since ninety nine, two thousand. I uh, didn't get to see Jerry. I was too young. Uh, I missed it by about a year to seeing them. Um, but I totally feel like I missed something. And, you know, and I, I have to give it up to what is out there now, like the Dead and Company. They're keeping it alive. You know, it's not the Grateful Dead. You know, it, it's, it's not. He's, John Mayer sounds nothing like Jerry Garcia. But the music is alive. It's out there. We we still get to go to the shows. The the experience. I took my friend for the first time. That I've been I've been friends with him my whole forty five years of life, and I took him and I had to like play by play. Like I I was like uh, giving him like what's the song meanings and look at what he says here and everything like that. And he, he said he really enjoyed. He didn't, he knows nothing about the Grateful Dead at all. And he said he enjoyed the whole experience of it. And I think that's what the Grateful Dead is about, is experience. Like the experience of going to the concert, like you said. Um, it's very, it, it's a gathering. You know, I, I, jokingly, uh, it's a cult. You know, um, I always say I like somebody a little bit better when I find out they like the Grateful Dead. Yeah. You know, Um but uh, there's a lot of things about the dead that people don't really notice. I think the casual fan, like the band started as a, as a cover band. They were called the yeah. Warlocks. They, they formed this band in like 95. Uh, I'm sorry. Not, I mean, like 64, 65. So the grateful dead was doing their thing when the Beatles came out, you know, here, here was the Beatles, everybody trying to be the Beatles and here's this band with a big bluegrass feel. And what they wanted to do was make a blues electric band. Like they wanted to make a blues band electrified, which there wasn't a lot of that going on. Chicago is happening. But for a bunch of white guys to come together and play blues, you know, that's it's pretty different for the times in the 60s. You know, they got caught up in the psychedelic era, you know, but. In the beginning, they were a blues band. Yeah, um, I, I, everybody. Well, you, and you said stuff that's not um, well known to the casual fan. And I don't know. I don't think there's a whole lot of like. There's not a band you're into like casually. 
you know, you may you no, you know, you, touch of gray, you know, sugar magnolia, that like uh, trucking, maybe Casey Jones. You know, there's like four or five songs you'll hear on the radio, but other than that, man, like if you're, um, you, you really got to be really into them. And I'm I'm kind of like a little I'm. You, I'm not as much as it, I'm nowhere near as into them as you guys are, as you and Doug are. I am I am wearing a yeah. dead a dead shirt tonight, um, that I, I barely nice. fit into anymore. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, and I've read a couple books about. I don't the, the whole thing about them just really fascinates me. I'm fascinated by how diverse they are as musicians, um, how they ran their business, just how like I said it in the monologue, man. Like they did everything without a plan. You know, like even like how they, they were, dude, they were, they were the most unorganized band that you could fucking think of. Nobody wanted to be the leader. Like, um, so it was like a free fall of yeah. management and touring. It's and, and, you know, uh, who was the boss? Some days they said, uh, Bob was the boss. Some days the roadie ramrod was in charge. And they said what was really funny. He's like, you know what happened? He's like, the truck, the carburetor went right then. Yes. The carburetor. Yes, was the I boss. really like that. It was, um, you know, yeah, that was in the uh, uh, a long strange trip. Long yeah, strange the documentary trip. series. I yeah. I watched most of it. Um, yeah, and it was like a guy that was like their manager was saying that yeah the the situation yeah. became the boss and he used the car and I I like yeah. that. I just thought that was a cool way to explain it. Yeah, I I I from the experiences that I've seen through the documentaries and the things that I've read and everything like that, they really were over their head. Like here's like a cultural iconish thing. And they put, you know, these guys on a pedestal and made them like superstars in, in, in a way, like, you know, like a whole cult, family follows these guys around it it really was like um like they really just wanted to make music and they didn't give a shit about everything else yeah yeah like um we said they were called the warlocks right um but you know the jerry was always a main part of the band but in the beginning their front man lead singer was a guy named pigpen and Pigpen was a blues man, white guy, played harmonica. He was a front man. He'd jump up and sing like he was a preacher. He was very, very animated on stage. Uh, maybe we can yeah, hear man. a little bit of it. Uh, hard, to, hard to Handle's on there. He, he does a great little intro. Yeah, man, sure. Man. Here you go. Here's a little Hard to Handle. I love the stuff that Pigpen sings on. I, I agree, man. It's, it's definitely oh, a lot dude. more bluesy. Yeah, it was totally a different band. Um, you know, as the band became more alert of what the 60s were turning into, meaning, you know, dropping acid and, you know, doing the acid tests 
and they were a big part of the acid test. Um, they would set up and they would play for these kids taking acid in a safe place. You know, um, it was never done again after the six. Like you can't no way have like a drop right. in now. Well, that was like no I mean LSD way. was legal yeah. still, right? So yeah, it was it it was a CIA yeah. thing. So let me, bro. Let me, maybe it's it was Let's the government. color that well first of all the warlock i thought the warlocks thing was interesting so they were the warlocks and then uh at some point man they they decided they're gonna be like a serious band somebody else goes hey man there's another band named the warlocks you got to change your name and so yeah. they became the grateful dead and they said they really like jerry just pulled out a dictionary and just like just opened it and put his finger yeah. did you see that and yeah it was a dictionary of like yeah. higher thinking or something and he what did he do he just he said he opened the book and the first thing it said yeah, was Grateful like, Dead. And what it means, Grateful Dead means almost karma from your from your good deeds. And there's like the death of skeletons basically here with you, guiding you through yeah. good karma. And that's that's what the Thank Grateful God Dead they didn't is. open it and land on Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> no, because that's a yeah, you know, uh I think. I think it was magical how they yeah. came up with the name, the Grateful Dead. It was very, very mystical. But then the bro. band that was the original, the other Warlocks, they changed their name to the Velvet Underground. Yeah, right? who were they? It's just yeah, isn't it isn't funny that, that they're like like two bands named the Warlocks. Both maybe I should maybe <laughs> maybe I should have called my right. band the Warlocks, and then we would have came right. We should be like else. the Warlocks of rock and roll, but the. Um, the acid yeah, test, yeah, man. So it was like they had these, the, just a house in in California, and LSD was legal, and the government was behind it, and these people would go, and it was um, uh, it was Ken Kesey. They would allow people to to show up, and they would do, yeah. uh, they'd have like the big punch bowl with the LSD in it, and the dead were kind of like the house band at these this this thing, and these people would go and get high as all hell, and the dead would kind of play whenever they want to. There was no, you know, it wasn't like. You're doing a set at eight. You're doing a set at nine. It was kind of like whenever you feel like, you know, you're tripping. And I guess that's where they really started to become associated with the drug scene. Yeah. Do uh, you always have that joke? Um, what did the deadhead say when he ran out of drugs? This band sucks. <laughs> I, you know what, man? I have that in my <laughs> I, in my notes. I wrote, if you're not a big fan, their fans are fucking annoying. Because they. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. I mean. I'm not as righteous as some of these Grateful Dead guys are because I didn't see Jerry. You know, I I, I was too young. I'm sorry. My mom would have let me go see right. the Grateful Dead, you know, at 17 years old. Um, I grew up in South Philadelphia near the stadiums. And when the Grateful Dead came to town, the culture came to town. So you have FDR Park where the whole deadhead community would set up and it was they people would tell me they were there for like a whole weekend in fdr park and like the asset that was being passed around like the it's legendary down in, in south philadelphia about this one year when the dead came and everybody was tripping balls in south philadelphia yeah that's, you know i mean but fans you're right man so it's like when they go on tour it was like like a city it was like a whole economy that was dependent yeah. upon them people going around and selling all their yeah. tie-dye shirts and their patchouli and all their hemp stuff and it was uh i don't know i whenever further was on the road like 2020 maybe 
I, I went and saw that. Yeah. And I was amazed that all these people that were still like, you know, Jerry had been dead for five years, whatever I saw them. Um, might have been closer to 20 yeah. years. I don't remember. But it was like, man, like, and they're still, they were still going. There's still people that, you know, that's like the people that follow the band around the country. The fans won't let it die. It's too big. It's too meaningful. Now, there's other things like the Grateful Dead. Like you have these um, dedication bands, these cover bands that cover Grateful Dead shows. You got Dark Star Orchestra, which is fabulous. And then you got a band called Joe Russo's Almost Dead. And they are the best ones out there. Um, They make up their own shows. But what Dark Star Orchestra does, they pick a show that they did, we'll say 6, 18, 76, they did a show. We're going to play that show to a T tonight. You know, so you have to guess yeah, what year it is. By the, by the, yeah, you, by you the, and I went you know? one year. Like, yeah, we went. We, we went. On like a we Black went. Friday, it was like their Black Friday yeah. show. They play Philadelphia every year. You and I went. Mm. Yeah, that yeah. was a great night. That that's, was a um, great night. We had a great like, time. I, um, when I first heard that, when you told me that's what they did, I was kind of like, okay. But now there's like, there's a couple Springsteen bands that do that. And there's actually one's playing playing down that, at Asbury Park this weekend. My wife and I are going to go see. And they'll be like, oh, he's, they're playing, you know, they're recreating the X show. And I know enough that I'm like, oh, crap, yeah. that's a really good. I, right. I know Fuck that yeah. set list. So it's like, you know. Yeah. Like, I I mean, I hear years. Like, they're I'm like, yo, they're playing a show from 72. I'm like, dude, 72 yeah. was the best fucking year. Because they did this and they did this chord progression during this song, and I'm really geek, man. Like, I go down the rabbit yeah, hole about like recording. Yeah, they're they're like just culturally. Uh, they're also like I have in my notes here somewhere about um, that Jerry is the most recorded guitar player in history. There's they estimate that there's fifteen thousand hours of tape of him playing guitar. That's amazing. I hope they release it for and the rest was of like, my life, like little by saying, little. Like who? Like the the company that run, I think Rhino Records owns, like their vault, and they were saying that like they wow. could release. It was like eight shows a year, and they have another like thirty five years of uh, material. Like so, they've done. I, I looked this up. From sixty five to ninety five, when Jerry died, they played about twenty three hundred concerts. They played about 450 to 500 different songs. And then they played collectively over the 37,000 songs they played live. And it was all, That's and it was all of that shit is recorded. And it's all recorded either from and, the tapers, which we can talk about. And also, they recorded their own stuff off the soundboard. Like, they were so far ahead sure. of their time. They're like, hey, man, let's take sure. stuff. Yeah. You would have, like, you were just saying the tapers, um, our audience may not know, but early on the Grateful Dead would let you come into their show with your recording equipment and bootleg the show for free. In the 70s, they were doing this. Um, they were encouraging bootlegging their read, show. To, so what I read that they said like they got they got fed up with the people that were trying to bootleg, like they were getting in the way and they were getting in front of the soundboard. So finally they were just like, all right, guys, well, like you'll, you can do it. Just go over here and do it. Yeah. Yeah. They would have their own section. It's called yeah. the taper section. 
and you could buy tickets for that. You really have to know someone that you got to be in that circle to get tickets like to, to really that's, get into. That's another good yeah. point about them too. I mean, like you know, in my real life, I'm I'm in in the marketing industry, and allowing your fans to tape everything, right? Compare that to Metallica. You know, Lars all like yes. Lars Ulrich is going to sue some kid for uh, tapping out Master of Puppets on his uh, on his book after hearing yeah. it in Stranger Things, and then you got the Grateful Dead, yes, or the Grateful Dead also like right Which, the first albums right they put uh something on the back like who are you how are you send us a card keep in touch yes and it was yes. like the first like viral marketing in music it really cool they were they they were the first word to mouth yeah. band. You know, it's like they are known as a live band. They have recordings from being in the studio, which we'll play some. They're great to listen to. But where it's really at is where the live tapes are. Like Cornell 77 was so famous. But then the dead was so tired of crappy recordings of it. They officially released it. And now Cornell sounds fucking unreal on Spotify. and I had I've had it for all these years on a bootleg. Now it sounds like flawless. it's interesting that uh, even watching that documentary, or I've read a couple books on the dead and saying like, yeah, when they they would go in the studio, they had no idea what they were doing, and they were no. they were racking up like tens of thousands of dollars in debt because they were like just meandering through the process. And they said they said they didn't care about what the money was spending. They were going to learn how the studio yeah. was made. Like they wanted to use it as an instrument, and they took all the time in the world for that first album to make. You know, they really got spacey yeah. on that the first, first couple, record. I guess, because they uh, um, they were like instead of going in saying, you know, here's the album written, this is what we're going to play. They were like, all right, we'll just figure it out as we kind of go along in the studio, and without really thinking about like, hey, man, like you know the the meters running as you're recording all this kind of stuff. And they were just getting yeah. crushed with debt and like, everything else. The, um, the lawyers would send them letters and like threaten them and shit. And they would correct the spelling of the letters and write fuck you on them and send it back to them. Like, dude, they didn't care. They're like, throw us off your label. Right. We don't care. Like, you know, like, but that's how, um, that's how unorganized they were. They didn't give a fuck if they were on a record label. They were just happy. All right, we're in the studio. We're going to learn how to do this. Like they went to college. That was them going yeah. to college. And, but they they spent, they never made that money it, back. That was just like. Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. Like they, there's something to be said about like, they really just didn't care. Like, you know, Jerry never wanted to say I was in charge. But also. No. What, like it's not that they, it's not that they didn't care. The only thing they cared about was right. the music. All that rest of the shit was a drag. Like all the business stuff to them, they just wanted to drop acid and fucking play tunes, and then all of a sudden it became this job. But there's other bands too, man. Like and, I mean, the, the story of rock and roll is littered with bands that have this very reverential opinion. Yeah, you know, like I'm sure the Stones think that musical is some magical thing. But they got their shit together as a business, right? It's like, like what could the what could yes. the dead oh, have yeah. been if they had like had somebody with a little bit of business smarts around them? You know what I mean? Well, people people tried. 
And people got so fed up with them, they just walked away from the whole business end of it for the dead. Like, I can't do this anymore. You guys yeah. are too fucked up. You know, nobody can, nobody put a hold on those guys because nobody wanted to take responsibility for the mayhem. Yeah. And, and the mayhem, that's you a know. good point, too. Like, one thing I walked away watching that documentary series was like, um, yeah, maybe you think that, like, oh, they're these happy dudes and they're just kind of, they're writing the music and they're improving and everything, but they had some, like, like, you know, uh, Ramrod was, they were like, he would knock out a fucking police officer if you looked at him. You know, they had some, they had some kind of, they had some, oh, they were, they were around in their circle. They yeah. were cowboys. They were cowboys, man. They were, they, they were re- reform school dudes. Like you had to be, the, you know, you have to think to get something off the road, to get something off the ground something like the grateful dead you have to suffer through it like you're going to be homeless you're going to be this you're going to be that you're going to be on the road all fucking night and that takes a, a special kind of person and a person to knock out a fucking cop right because he wants to is the perfect guy to be in charge in my opinion <laughs> it's true you there know also, like if, if somebody there, there was also a story in the documentary too about like um I forget what they went to somebody's house. They went to a party or something. It might have even been the Playboy Mansion or something. They went somewhere and they laced all the coffee with with acid and didn't tell anybody. Yes, it was. And I remember. Th- yeah, it was the Playboy. It was the Playboy after dark. Yeah, TV and I was show. thinking, like, you know what, man? That's kind of like it's kind of shitty. I was like, you know, like you're there. Yeah, you it think, was kind of like I don't know, man. You think, like you guys are going to take drugs whether you want to or not. I don't. Maybe, maybe it was just the mood I was in. I was listening to it kind of early. Oh, I listen, listen. I I hear you. Like to slip somebody something that they're not, you know, um, they're not knowing or expecting. It's that's just wrong. I mean, people wind up right. dying by a wrong mix of somebody mixing them something. But you know, but you have to remember though. When you go to these acid tests, you know you're you're or you if you have the Grateful Dead around you, you're dude. You know, don't drink anything. Don't you know? Like you know, like it's the fucking Grateful Dead. It's like it's like in that Motley Crue movie. Like he says, he says, "Don't ever leave your girlfriend with Motley Crue." Right. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Yeah, I uh, I don't know, man. Don't ever, yeah. Don't. Ever. No, I get I, it. I, I had a it. I had a friend of mine who uh, we would go out after playing softball, go to the local local tavern, and I wasn't drinking any alcohol at the time, and I was drinking some water, and he had like spiked the water with a bunch of like painkillers, and I got like like oh he was God. like crushing up Percocets and putting them in the water, and I had a couple, and I got really dude, and I that's got really cool. mad at him. I was like, dude, I'm like trying to you know i was going through a period of sobriety in my life and i was like what the what the fuck are you doing i mean and i should know better than like ever yeah. being around the dude and you know have something to drink but um yeah i don't know man just that with the dead it was kind of like yeah it's kind of crappy but, no you're right but i also but like it was you said, it, I, it was the time yeah, sure though. and it like you said times. man they, they you yeah, don't but, drink anything that they give you if you know if you don't exp- but the the thing though with the playboy thing was they the party they made the TV show seem like there was a party going on, and it was just a set and extras and everything like that and Playboy bunnies. So here comes the Grateful Dead thing, and they're joining a party, and it's this this TV set. Yeah. So here they come, 
here they come. They're like, all right, well, we're going to dose us. We're going to dose some of the thing. So Hugh Hefner comes down. He takes a dose. Next thing you know, it's a real party. Like they said, they took a set into a part, made it into a party. Like it's it's famous footage of Jerry Garcia sitting there talking to, to Hugh Hefner yeah. on acid. You know, it, it's I don't know. It's the t- it was the times, Bruce. It was you know instead of like slipping people Mickey's kind of thing. It's like all right, we're going to give you this experience. Right. This is what's going on right now. This is what we're about. It, but, and tripping, yeah. I mean, tripping but is slipping. synonymous with them, right? And especially where they. You know, when they yes. came up, right? Yes, now they, totally. They're playing, you know, we didn't talk about it yet, but, you know, they cut their teeth really, like that whole, uh, the acid test and everything that's happened in San Francisco. Hate Ashbury, that's like ground zero for the hippie movement and the summer love. And, you know, sure. they were them and Jefferson Airplane, they were there all those first. other bands that came out of that era. They all would rent those Victorian houses. They were yeah. like mansions and like bands would live in these houses. Uh, the Grateful Dead house is very famous because they all live there. Um, there's a famous picture of them outside of it. And to this day, the house is still famous because People of the Grateful Dead. It. Yeah, you can see pictures you, of it. Yeah, I mean, that whole area. But they they invented it. They they were there for the original wave of peace, love, whatever. Then it got commercialized and everybody starts showing up to hate Ashbury. So it became like, I don't know, like grunge came in and everybody jumped on that bandwagon. But the bandwagon was in San Francisco. That's, that's exactly what I put in my notes. Yeah. It, beca- it came to an end because it got popular and the squares moved in. The same thing happened with punk and grunge. Right? They start selling the flannel shirts everywhere or they're selling the uh, you know, Misfits t-shirt at Target and it gets kind of lame. No, you look you look at you look at um fashion in the the late 60s early 70s it was it was a lot of flower power a lot of bell bottoms you, you know um the fashion is i think what killed the music like everybody i'll say it's easier to look like you're from mars than understanding the music yeah like, it's just like oh we're part of the we're part of the crowd we're here. Uh, we're here. We're part of it, and like that. No, you're here, and you're fucking house or something. It. And like a bus rolled up, and like a tour guide was pointing out, like here's the Grateful Dead, and he was like, "Uh, this is it's over." Like, yeah, yeah. They're like, "Let's get the fuck out." It was here. also, I think, like so you know? many people descended upon that area too. It was like very communal living kind of stuff, and all these people yeah, show up, and they're like, "Yeah." We can't. I remember I read something with Jerry. He was like, "Dude, we can't like." As a community, we can't we can feed a thousand people who got nowhere to go, but we can't feed twenty thousand people. Yeah, I I mean it's it was a lot of you know a lot of their weekends probably were disaster zones, like you know official you know like there wasn't enough water to go around. Like that's like I'm sure a lot of their gigs were like yeah, that. That's a good point too. Like yeah. you can they said like some of their early. You know, people are on bad trips and, you know, all kinds of mm. other stuff. Like, people don't know what's going on and they, they're getting all zonked out. And, you know, the, you know, it's yeah. Probably, uh, yeah. You know, it's still live out there. Um, plenty of people at the Dead and Company were trying to sell it. God knows, you know. Uh, I have my own opinion about it. I keep it to myself. I don't do drugs, most drugs. <laughs> 
But um, hey, it's not for everybody. You know, if you have a hang up about something in your life, dude, you shouldn't be right. doing it. You know, you really, you really should really have yourself together. But, and I say this in every way, get fucked up on acid. There's no way is ever way fucked up than you were drinking. Like you can get blasted and you're right. dangerous. You know, you're, you're fucking dangerous. You know, on the other level of acid, you're very calm and there's mm-hmm. nothing going on. So the, you've been blasted way more than I felt from any hit of acid okay. I've ever took. But I, you know, that's me though. You know, I, I am a Grateful Dead fan. I, I am, I embellish, I, I embrace, I embraced their culture into my life. They saved my life. They really did. I was going through a bad part of my life and, you know, they really, I found them um, spiritually. That was a big thing to me. It really saved me. It saved my life. So people that listen to them, that's what they're going to, that's what they're going to say. Yeah. It's like you, they have, they have just have so many fucking great songs. Let's play a great song right now. We've been uh, talking for a while, not playing anything. Let's play um, Uncle John's Uncle band. John's band. Here we go. Off the Working Man's Dead studio version. Well, the first days are the hardest days. Don't you worry anymore. Easy street, there is danger at your door Think this through with me Let me know your mind What, oh, what I want I, What, like, what are they as a band? Yeah, you know, I think that's, I think that's one of the reasons that they're so interesting too Is like, because they, you know, there's elements of jazz and bluegrass And like that, oh, you know, that's yeah. got that Southern California eagles kind of sound and well they invented yeah. that sound they invented that sound that, yeah, like California that country sound. soft country um, kind of sound but before before jerry garcia played the electric guitar he played yeah. banjo he played banjo and a lot of bluegrass bands that's what he did before the grateful dead he played in bluegrass bands like like yeah. trios and you know uh so you know, I think that banjo playing early on really made Jerry with. I hate calling it noodling. Um, I hate that when people say that, but that's the only way to describe because you kind of noodle on yeah. the banjo. You know, noodling around what Jerry did soloing was revol. It, dude, everybody was copying it from those days. Everybody was copying it, and, but. They had better managers. The bands. Yeah. I mean, there's also you know, not a lot of. But there's not a lot of famous bluegrass musicians either, right? So I mean, they're one. Of, he's one of the no, few that made the jump. No, Jerry was a music teacher at first. He taught guitar. You know, that's how he met Bob Weir. Bob Weir's the other guitar player yeah. in the Grateful Dead guys. Um, Bob Weir is a good seven years younger than Jerry. You know, so Jerry was like this older brother to Bob when they first met. And they were taking lessons together 
before the Grateful Dead got together. You know, so Jerry's got a big bluegrass yeah. kind of background because I think you know that's that's basically his foundation of what his music is. Country bluegrass. I think that's one of the interesting folk. things of their um, them as a band is how diverse like their backgrounds are because Jerry was the bluegrass guy, and you know he said. Uh, you know, Bob with his background, Pigpen being a blues guy. You know, Phil Lash was like a classically trained, what is a, a trumpet? He's a trumpet yeah. player, a sax player. He's a. I'm not sure. I, I think he was a cello player that makes, I don't know what he did, but it was yeah. classical music. And, and you could tell by his bass playing that he's trained classically. Yeah. You know, when, when Phil's going off, we call him Phil Bombs. And he just drops those bombs through all the songs. Yeah, he was like really into um like playing a lot of like avant garde, you know, the kind of shit most of you wouldn't want to listen to. Um he was a trumpet no, he was a trumpet player. But you know right on. I mean, Phil is a snob musically, I think. I think Phil's an asshole just because business end of it, that's why he won't play with he won't split the dough. So that's why he's not playing with that company. Uh, but uh, he, musically, he's probably the most taught, mo- most professional musician out of those dudes. Yeah, and I think, right? I thought yeah. the story was like when he started hanging out with those guys, they were like, all right, cool. Uh, you can play with us, but we need a bass player and that's what you're going to play. And they were like, yeah. And he was like, yeah. He was right, like, okay. Sure. Okay. Um, and there was a lot of musicians that came into the band like that too. Like, uh, you know, people that was kind of like hanging around them or like, Hey, can I play keyboards with you? And they're like, yeah, sure. Let's go. No, sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, Donna yeah. Jean, Donna Jean became their backup singer and her husband became yeah. the piano player. But first they were fans of the band and they were like, you know, I don't want to be a fan of this band. I want to be in the band. And they they fucking searched it out and got into. That's they were crazy. that serious. Just, yeah, I saw that interview too. It's just it's nuts. You're like, yeah, like you're you're the biggest fan in the world of this band that you go seek them out because you right. want to play with them. And this is still in seventy something. You know, it's not like you know their household mates. Right. You know, in the seventies. Yeah. Um, also about musician too. Like, I mean, there are one of the few bands too. Like, they have two drummers. Yeah, Bill, Billy, yeah, and Mickey Hart. Billy is the original drummer. Billy is this R and B drummer. He's very fucking good. He's one of my favorite drummers. And then he, and then a few years later, Mickey Hart joined the band as the second drummer of the band. Um, they one plays the on beat, one plays the off beat. I personally like the one drummer years of the Grateful Dead. That's yeah, just I was going to ask you as a drummer, what, uh, what do you think of a band having two drummers? I love now the, the, to me, 1972 of the Grateful Dead was the best years. 72 to 75 is because of that, you know, is because they had one drummer and Bill fucking kicked ass on Europe. 72. You ever want to hear the dead without with just one drummer you can listen to europe 72 which is really famous recording in the grateful dead when they went to europe uh 
and the one drummer and it sounds fucking great mm. because it, got, it that shit's like real cluttered like when you have two drummers playing i'm like oh yeah it's cool the assets great everything's rocking really that but all in all dude it sounds like they're a mess getting on, i'm a one drummer kind of guy. on top of each other i mean i can't think of another band that's got two drummers i'm sure the dead's not the only one uh no there's yeah, a few out can't there think of any off the top of my head, there's a but, few out there um yeah, man, why don't we play something from that era? You got a couple songs on here from, like, 71 on the playlist. Looks like you got Truckin', Bertha, Sugar Magnolia. Why don't we play, uh, why don't you play Sugar Magnolia? Now that's a Bob song. See, everybody thinks Jerry was the lead singer. Like Jerry sang all the songs. No, man, Bob was the second singer too. He was the also singer and his songs rock just like Jerry's songs. Yeah. I was just about to say that, that uh, I, I like the stuff that Bob Weir sings on. Me too. Me too. I, uh, I don't know. I musically have a lot in common with Bob. Bob is dyslexic and so am I. So how he breaks down music and how he plays his chords is maybe something I can recognize more musically than somebody playing a certain way that's not dyslexic. You know, he plays it in his own way, his own style, and it's and it's unique. Yeah. Unique as all hell. I nobody plays like Bobby Weir. I've known you for over twenty five years. I didn't know you were dyslexic. Well, it's something I overcame. You know, yeah, but but I I, I know how it is. I, I can't, you know, a lot of people had a lot worse than I did. It, yeah. Like, no, don't, dude, get my, uh, my, don't get my me two, wrong. Don't get me wrong. My two boys are both this are dyslexic. So, I, yeah, I, yeah, you know, um, I have a weird way of learning how to play the drums because I was, you know, I, I, I had to figure out on my own terms how to play the drums because I couldn't, I would look at like the sheet music. And everything and everything would look backwards to me. So I was like, this is not fucking helping me. So, you know, I had to learn a different way. Yeah. yeah. Um I'm trying to think what other there's another Bob song. I was listening to some dead this morning, like throwing stones. I, I like it's a Bob Weir oh, song. Yeah. I like that song a lot. Um, I like Estimated Profit. There's a song called Estimated Profits, one of my favorite yeah. ones. I was gonna suggest um, that as be the uh what we came into out of the uh the monologue to just because it's just kind of got like a bopping do you uh, have kind of kind of vibe to it. Do you have it chopped up? Uh I can I can, I can get it, yeah. Uh hang on, I can get it. Because it's such a weird song. I, I don't mind hearing a little bit of it. Yeah, the whole album is really weird, man. It's kind of like a I don't know. Yeah, it's off the Terrapin Station album. It's a yeah, Terrapin's a great album, dude. Yeah. All right, here's a here's a little bit of estimated profit. It's so weird.
I love it. That's one of my favorite dead albums. Yeah, the, dude. It's only like six songs in Terrapin Station. No, like but Terrapin, 20 minutes long. Terrapin's the whole second side of the record. Yeah. You know, which is my favorite Terrapin State. But Estimated Profit, a lot of Grateful Dead songs are in 4 4 drumming wise. In Estimated Profit, it's in seven. So it's a whole weird fucking timing that it took me a long time to figure it out. I could play it now, but mm. when I first heard it in seven, I was like, what the fuck is this? How do you play this? The, um, the tuning of the guitar too is like, it's just a different sound than what, like, um, I, I think Jerry has one of the most recognizable guitar sounds, right? It's very, uh, it's like his voice too. It's, it's very like fragile sounding. Oh God. Let's, um, let's just, Let's just say, man, he's one of the greatest voices of rock and roll or any kind of music. He's so yeah. spiritually, man. He's, yeah. he's like so. His, his guitar singing and his voice just kind of have this the, the same thing. But um, and that song, Estimated Prophet, just has a just a way different vibe to it. Yeah. The wah, 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 yeah. wah. Yeah. yeah. The wah, wah pedal. Yeah. It, it had, it's one of my favorite songs, man. Jerry yeah, had too. a different. Jerry had a different way of playing. Um, but Jerry's also, you know, uh, had his own great songs. Um, Jerry had a lot of help from Robert Hunter write his lyrics for songs. Um, Jerry was a great songwriter in like musically way, but he had a lot of help from a guy called Robert Hunter. And he wrote all these amazing songs. And one of the most amazing songs to me, a Jerry song, is Ripple. Can we hear a little bit of Ripple? Yeah, man. Here's a little bit of Ripple off American Beauty. If my words did glow With the gold of sunshine and my tunes were played on the strung. Would you hear my voice? Yeah, man. Robert Robert Hunter is an interesting dude, man. So he yeah. was he's the only person inducted with a band in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame who's not a performer. Really? I so didn't know he was inducted with them. He was inducted with the band in ninety four, but he is He's the only non-performer to be inducted as a member of a band in the Rock and Roll Hall. Wow! Thing. So just Dude, as, he should be in there. I saw Robert. I saw Robert Hunter one time. He played during intermission during a version of the Grateful Dead called "The Dead." Yeah, and it, in between the sets, Robert Hunter came out and played all these magical songs, dude. It, and I never saw him again after that. Like uh, I, he's still alive, but no, he died that, in 2019. Did he? Did yeah, he, he die? Passed away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, There's also but, a reason why he's like a behind the. Uh, he's why he can't sing. He's just. He's oh not no. A singer. But you know, for me to say I saw him say some of his yeah. magical lyrics, you know, I mean he he was the words of the Grateful Dead, and to see to see him in person was always memorable for me. Yeah, you know? yeah, he wrote a lot of those songs. Um, he he was always like, you think he couldn't get any more spiritual 
and he would he he would get even more deeper and write a song like friend of the devil yeah you know like that's that's can we hear a little bit of that yeah man here you go Trailed by twenty hounds Didn't get to sleep that night Till the morning came around Set out one but I take my time A friend of the devil is a friend of mine I get home before daylight Just my guess is That album is great, man the, uh, Yeah, American, American Beauty, album. Beauty. Yeah. yeah You know, like we were talking about how they made that first record and they were just like taking their time and fucking around when they said they made working man. And when they were American beauty, they went in, they did their homework before and just fucking slapped it out. Like two albums back to back with these amazing fucking songs on them, man. Nothing was like the grateful dead at that time. Yeah. But then they finally had an album that was like, that did well too. It like it wiped out all their debt and kind of, yeah. Gave them the freedom to do more that they wanted to, like going on the road and and all that other kind of stuff. Their home is the road. That's that you know they they were gypsies. They lived on the road. Uh, I think a big responsibility that I think Jerry felt responsibility for all these people for culture. Like if you don't know the Grateful Dead, the Grateful Dead is famous for having a shopping section called Shakedown Street. You could buy anything hippie you want on Shakedown Street. It's 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 a moving mall for hippies. And people rely on the band to go on tour to make money for them to go out and sell their knickknacks and sell their posters, sell their t-shirts. You know, Jerry felt responsible for all those dudes, like a cultural thing that, you know, God, that would kill anybody. Yeah, man, hero- I, yeah, I read a book. I think it was like a it was a collection of like uh, cover story interviews from Rolling Stone. And it was one with Jerry. And I think he was saying at some point, like the band wanted to give it a rest, but they couldn't because they're like, he's like, we have all these people like dependent upon us as an economy and we got to keep playing. Yeah. Imagine having that responsibility and you're just a guitar player. You know, right. he doesn't, even, he doesn't even want to be the leader of his own band. And then, no. got and then they made of these other people that he doesn't even know that rely on him. Yeah. I mean, they, that's a, I, I, I don't even wish that on anybody. Yeah. Like that, that's fucking, how do you deal? I think that's why Jerry was so isolated himself with drugs. You know, he couldn't be left alone. Like he couldn't go anywhere because he was the face of the Grateful Dead. You know, they would, they would, he would sit in his hotel room and all the deadheads would like try to get up to his hotel room and scaffold up walls to climb his window and shit. Like people doing outrageous shit. And Jerry's like this 250 pound guy and you just, want to be plays guitar but everybody made him this profit yeah 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 they said like he he almost never talked to the audience you know when they performed like he just but everybody was hanging on every single thing that he 
you know, every he note he played, they're hanging on him. Um, and even, I mean, the, the end of his life too is it's really sad. You know, like yeah, yeah. The band had an intervention with him. They're like, it's either us or you. And then he, you know, he was in a coma for a while. Like you know, yeah, thirty years of drugs, and he was overweight, yeah. and he smoked, and he was diabetic, and then and he finally tried to get his shit together and went into rehab, and he just he had a heart attack while he was there. His body couldn't take the recovery. Yeah. He he was so dependent on, he you know, m- we'll call it microdosing. He, like, microdosed his whole life with heroin. Yeah. Like, you know, and, you know, and when you stop doing that shit, your body has to be strong to, to heal from it. And Jerry was just so beat up and so tired. And I think he was just so sad at the, there's some of these footage of Jerry at the, at like Chicago at the last gig and he's playing, um, he's playing morning dew and he's just really sad looking. He looks like a ghost up there. And then he died like three weeks later. Yeah. People really, um, looking back, they kind of crap on that era. Like he was, like his heart wasn't in it anymore. You know, he didn't care anymore. Like, but he was, you know, he was he was only fifty three when he died. But it isn't was, that amazing? You know, it was a rough. Yeah, that he was, looked he looked way older. Do you remember where you were when you heard Jerry died? I only remember working in Sam Goody, working in the mall because yeah. across the hallway from us there was one of those like head shops that sold all yeah. the patchouli. Flashback. Yeah, shit. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it was. And yeah. I remember those people like just going. The only the, the two musicians I remember dying as a kid, man, was Kurt Cobain and Jerry Garcia. Yeah. Well, there. Like I I think they're the only two that really mattered in the nineties. I mean, I mean, we lost Freddie Mercury and but other. Yeah. But look at those two guys that we lost. Yeah. You know, in a couple of years, like two cultural iconic things. I mean, Kurt, whatever. And Jerry slowly killed himself too. Yeah, you know, it's, I think all drug addicts are slowly killing themselves. And you know, you hear a little bit more and more and more about this microdosing, and it's like people—you'd be surprised, Bruce. People that are like microdosing heroin—it's fucking unbelievable. Yeah, I—I I remember reading stories about him too. Like he would have. You know, heroin mailed to his the next hotel room because he, yeah, you know, he wasn't going to get through customs with it, so he'd have it like shipped somewhere. So it was right, like you know, his black tar heroin, so he could uh, have an after show and yeah, like imagine being the face of this icon and you're trying to be a, a an addict at the same time, you know, right? But that's a shame. I, yeah. I. It really was a, a the end of his life was kind of sad, and it's it's really sad too. Like for a dude who had this very like he didn't care about the money and everything else. It's really sad how like his uh his his wife and his ex wives like they all fought over his estate over his estate. Yeah, like his daughter them- his daughter has everything now. His daughter has one hundred percent owner of his likeness and everything, and that's who should have it. I met her one time. I had to say hello to her because it was Jerry's daughter. She they own a bar in the Capitol Theater in where is it? Uh, I'm having a brain fart, guys. I'm sorry, but she's involved in this Garcia bar somewhere. Okay. In yeah, 
but she gets all the rights to it. She has all the control over the what's being released. For, for, you know, like you said, all that tape that Jerry left behind. She's going to put that all that shit out, man. You watch, little by yeah. little. Um, yeah, the Jerry Garcia bar is up in up in New York at the Capitol. Yeah. You said the Capitol Theater. The Cap- yeah, it's. I forget what town it's yeah. called. Beth, not Bethel. Uh, Rye, New York. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, somewhere Rye, out there. Yeah, uh, which is a he, great, great place to see a band. You mentioned that in the um, the American Pie episode, where you're talking about Rye, New York, and, and Jerry also. Uh, he, um, you know, he was that like the later end of his life. He was into like scuba diving, and he was like really into art. You know, you can still well, find a lot of his. Like, he designed like tie. I think I, I have a Jerry Garcia tie. I have I've one. had since I was you know yeah. in college and. But I give a lot of Jerry fell in love again with his uh, first girlfriend he ever had. Like after the first girlfriend he had, he got married, had kid, blah, blah. All these years later, he got in contact with that first girlfriend and she with him in this in the into uh, shape, you know, and then she had him good for a good three, four years, like make it happen. And then Jerry, Jerry start using again. And then she confronted him about it and she Jerry's just like, I think it's time for you to leave. Here's a girl that saved his life. And he, and he was just like, fuck you. I'm going to do heroin. That's how strong yeah. that shit is, man. Yep. 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 Um, you were talking about like Robert, we were talking about Robert Hunter and these guys kind of like in the orbit of the grateful dead and an important role that they play. Another dude that had a important role was, uh, Owsley Stanley. Oh yeah. The, the, the bear Stanley. Yeah, I, so. I, oh yeah, he was a, he was a, <laughs> a chemist. He was a sound engineer. Yeah, he, he he was a bouncer. He 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 made the acid that Purple Haze was written about. Yes, he he he's a very famously known as being the guy that made Purple Haze. He also designed. But he the, was um... the. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, he was also the sound man for the Grateful Dead. And he he made this huge stage soundboard, and they call it the Wall Sound. Yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about it. So Owsley Stanley, too, is also famous for he designed the um the marching bear logo. Yes, that definitely. That's him too. Yep. And we can we can talk about some of their the band icons and stuff yeah logo yeah, yeah. the uh, the wall of sound man it was like holy shit so it was like i mean really how far ahead of their time they were like because we talked about like uh uh you know the beatles stopping performer the stones having to stop perform because they couldn't project uh you know like technology wasn't advanced enough to, like if you went to a big show like you couldn't hear these bands and then they made this thing of like 600 speakers this amazing pa system it was, I mean, I, you hear the stories about the, the wall sound, how it sounded unbelievably, and I'm sure it did, but it was such a pain in the balls for the guys that put it up every night and take it down. He said it was constantly breaking or the fucking union, local union guys wouldn't be involved. They would refuse to like hitch it up or whatever um, because the other guys weren't union and you know how that goes. Yeah, they said like at one point they had two of them. So like one would try to go 
you know, to the next gig because you couldn't do it in one night. Like the band no. would handle two and they'd be like, you basically, you work nonstop. Like you take it down, yeah. you box it up, you drive the next gig and then you, you start putting it up right away. And you're like just finishing as the band is rolling in for sound check. Oh, dude, I know a lot of stagehand guys and uh, they're there during the day. And when the concert's going on, they're sleeping. Yeah. There's because when that right when that show's over, they gotta pack the fuck up and get out of town because the next show starts at eight o'clock the next day. Yeah, it's really yeah. um, it's it's really crazy. Just even seeing the pictures of it, man, it's just uh, it's beautiful. It's just how it's all rigged together and like there's so there's like such a science in it, like the uh, what they said the ones for the bass were thirty two feet high because that's how high yeah. a bass wave a sound wave for a bass is. Yeah, so there's like a science to it. It wasn't like fuck it, we're gonna try to make no, it as big it, as we can. And it was all this guy bear, yeah. you know, Phil Lesh had a lot to do with it, but this guy bear, like he changed record. He changed live sound for everybody. So now the stones can go out there and play JFK stadium. No problem. Yeah. Or, you know, like that was like, no problem after yeah. the dead came up with that shit. They're like, okay, this is what we have to do to make it this concert louder. And they did a lot. Um, he he and the rest of the crew did a lot around uh like how mics are set up so you're not getting blown out with feedback and yeah where they the, were the pa was behind the band and everything they, he you ever see those pictures um some artists do it through the 70s there's two microphones taped together on yeah. one stand one for the highs and one for the lows on each side of the stage yeah you know now it's you know everything's digital now and everything yeah but you know I hear the wall sound was nothing but a nightmare, but I mean, it worked most of the time, but the storage part of it and the, the, the putting it together and the traveling with it, it's just like, they had to abandon it after a while. Yeah. It was like the early seventies. I finally just said, we can't do this anymore, but yeah. it's, um, it's a really, it's kind of like a, it's a really big impact on just the overall story of rock and roll that I don't, I don't think. I guess you got to kind of be into them a little bit to know that, 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 that they no. really helped advancing that technology. It's like they were revolutionaries in everything. Yeah. You know, because nothing to them was more important than the sound of the music. No, you yeah. know, nothing was more, more important than that bass sound, that wave of bass coming through the crowd and the wall sound made their, their sound dream come true. But like I said, they had to abandon it after a couple of years because it got too much money to take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, um, I mean, you can see the clips of like the 18 wheelers with the steal your face logo on the front yeah. rolling down the street yeah. with all the, all the crap in it. And yeah. Yeah. What a, what a nightmare that had to have been. Um, yeah. Especially in the seventies too. But it's still it's still a really cool, you know, like we've talked before about like Dick Dale trying to get like uh you know, Marshall stacks that are uh that don't melt when he plays them and then the dead just put together this monstrosity. It's really cool. Let's play a song. Yeah, man. Let's play uh, Scarlet Begonias. Scarlet Begonias, all right.
That's another yeah, song a lot that of, I really like by them. Oh yeah, a lot of people know that song because Sublime covered it. Yeah, so it, Sublime had a big hit with it. So every, every, you know, a lot of people don't know it's a Grateful Dead song. Hmm. I don't think yeah, I've man. ever heard Sublime's version of that. Interesting. I'll have to, I'll have to look that up and listen to it. Yeah. I'm just... It sucks. It's not like <laughs> it's. It does. It, it's. It's just more reggae and sped up kind of thing. nothing beats the original dude hmm. come on nothing uh but you know what the grateful dead is also known for is these long jams what they do you know we could play scarlet begonias this version that we just played i believe it's 15 minutes long yeah like they really jam it out and really improvise a lot of their middles of the songs like there's a structure to the song, but then in the middle of it, they'll jam off, man. Yeah. Like you for they'll jam to a point you're like, all right, let's move on to the next song, dudes. Yeah, yeah it's funny. There's like uh yeah, sometimes yeah, I listen to the Grateful Dead station on like Sirius XM and they'll have like the med the medley of like three songs. And yeah. it which is like, yeah, when you have that little uh the little uh symbol between it to like this song goes into that song that's like a shorthand for this is going to be a really friggin long thing yeah Yeah, i've totally i've totally had songs like it starts and i pull into like target and i go in and run my errands and come out and the same song still playing yeah of course i mean that's a big part of their show like sure if you our listeners uh don't know about the grateful dead show the grateful dead play two sets they have no opening act they have two sets. The first set comes in, it's daylight still, and it's pretty happening. And then they take a 20-minute break, but then the nighttime starts, and that's when the party fucking starts, man. Yeah. You know. Uh, but you get lost in their jams live in concert. You start seeing the lights. You you're you're people watching. Uh there, there's a lot of interesting things to think about during the Grateful Dead. You know, it, it for me it is anyway. It's very maybe I get my my breath of fresh air when I get to see them. Like okay, I got my fix. I'm good for a couple months. You know, right on. Yeah. Um. Well, I yeah, and the, and the fans being you know the people watching and the fans the visuals of that are such a big deal. And then we kind of hit on this a little bit, like the the logos too with the band. It's like some of the oh, yeah. iconic. Yeah, you know, they're right up there with the um, yeah, you know, the lips and tongue from the stone. Sure, yeah, you know, like sure to the steal your face like that yeah. skull, the skull with the lightning bolt in yeah. there. It's steal your face. I always thought that they- was. I always thought that was funny, man. He's like, oh, the band's called the Grateful Dead, and they got this awesome logo of a skull with a friggin' lightning bolt through it. Then you listen to the music, and you're like, wait, this isn't this well, isn't like what that what that looks like. You know, it's so funny. Um, when I first when I first people don't know anything about the Dead, they always say to say, oh, I thought they were a heavy metal band, right? I got that a lot. Like even yeah. my father, my father said that to me, like you know, like 15 years ago. Oh, I thought they were a heavy metal band because they're called the Grateful Dead. Sure. You know? And they've got, I, um, you know, like the the Skull and Roses. That's another yeah. famous one. The Marching yeah. Bears we already talked about. Uh, the Terrible Station. Turtles. The, the, they the Turtles. 
there's so many, so many, so many things that like represent different things for the Grateful Dead. Uh, yeah. A lot of you, it's, but you only know it if you're part of the club, then you, you really have to go down a rabbit hole to really understand the Grateful Dead. There's so many layers to it, bro. Yeah, definitely not. Like I said before, it's, there's not a lot of like casual, um, casual. No, fans. it's you hate them or you fucking love them. There's there's no in between. Yeah, and I think a lot of people who hate them just don't get them. Yeah, you know, well, that's kind of a... that's the thing I think about it. You have to have the experience of a live concert about with the Grateful Dead. You have to go down. You have to do the parking lot scene, chill out go into the show, listen to some amazing music or be around with some amazing people. And it's an amazing experience. I'm going to get yeah. the word and go to a show with me. I'm going to get right. the word to go. Yeah. And they were just in town too, man. You think we missed our, missed our boat, but we'll get them on something. He's a new man now with his new tattoo. So how about that? Yeah. All my, I, that was all me. It was all you. He's, he's yeah. a new man. So. God bless him. It looks great, Rob. He did a nice he, he did a nice job. And you hooked him up with a with an artist too. He did a really nice I, job. I he needed a cover up so bad. I treated this tattoo like it was mine. <laughs> like I uh, sent him the my guy, you know, whatever. Congratulations, yep. Rob. You got yep. a badass tattoo. Yep. Um Circle back to the dead, man. You know, it was also an interesting thing about them is that they you know, they were around for so long and for as successful as they were and everybody knows them and everybody knows the logos and they know Jerry, they only ever had one hit. They only had one song yeah. ever commercial hit. Well, and you know, there's there's song, the, the top 10. There was only one like top 10. Yeah. I think record. it was like top yeah. 40. I think it was I think it was their only top 40 hit. I wrote it in my notes. We're talking about Touch of yeah. Grey. Yeah, Touch of Grey um, was their only their only top forty single. Because I always thought Casey Jones was also a, a single, but that's I, I maybe I'm confused. I'm confused, but yeah, Touch of Grey was phenomenal, man. Yeah, it was it's, it was culturally it, it culturally made the Grateful Dead a huge iconic thing. They were big. But after Touch of Grey came back and they had that video on MTV, everybody wanted to go to the concerts. I, I mean, that was my my first exposure to them. I mean, that came out in the early nineties. You know, yeah, I was a kid. I was a teenager. I didn't. I didn't to, listen to, to know them. about. But like, I watched it. I watched the video every time it was on. How can you not? It was awesome with the puppeteers, the puppets. The, yeah. The skeletons yeah. and and you know I really like how the crowd looked and how they were having fun and at a young age I really knew who the Grateful Dead was because of this song. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, here I'll I, play a little bit of it. Yeah, please do. Yeah, man, I will get by. Like, I will survive. 
Uh, yeah, it's just got like an uplifting message to it. I listen to that song all the time. You know, yeah, I really dig it. Yeah, man, cool. it's a great introduction to the Grateful Dead too. Yeah, it's it's very easy to understand that song. Uh, there's no hidden message. They come out and just say it. Every cloud has a touch of gray. Yeah, you know. I think a lot of people heard that song and they ran out to you know go listen to some other stuff. And if they were running somewhere, hopefully they were wearing a pair of boldfoot socks when they did. It. <laughs> hey, those socks are feeling great. I got a pair the other day, dude. I got on uh, the internet. I was on the internet. And I said, you know what? I want to get this because I didn't get a pair. So I wanted to check them out. And dude, they're so comfortable, bro. They really are, man. And I mean, they make, they make athletic socks. They make, uh, you know, dress socks. Um, yeah. And I, we've talked about this a lot, man. I, I, one thing I really like about them is that they, you know, they're made in America. They're a veteran owned small business. They give 5% of their proceeds to American charities. Just really, really cool. Um, you know, and you can learn more, uh, by going to boldfoot.com. They, they're a fan of the show. We're a big supporter of theirs. It's yes. Really, really cool. So. I like their. I like how they're good to the vets. I'm really big on that. I'm really yeah, big man. on just being there for the vets now after they come home. Absolutely, yeah. and any any oper- any business that uses their you know uh, their position of success to pay it forward is is all right with me. So uh, yeah. Josh and the team over there at Boldfoot, they're they're awesome. You can check them out at boldfoot.com. Yeah, dude. I hope he still listens to our show. Yeah, man, I'm sure he does. He was binge. He was binge listening. We were going back and forth talking about some episodes. So all all good stuff. So cool, man. Um, we cool. I know we've been talking for like an hour and fifteen minutes, man. We take a take a commercial break. We'll come back. I don't know if there's a ton more stuff. We can play some more tunes. We can talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll play it by ear. Well, yeah, we're in no yeah, rush. I, I really have no. I have no outline to this show because I kind of would have. I felt dirty. I was like, I can't over prepare to do a show about the dead and be, you know, like no. just kind of winging it, just like everything else. But like, I like to think I could talk freely about the Grateful Dead. I, yeah, you know, I'm like that big of a fan. Yeah, sure. We're just having know. a conversation. So yeah. All right, we'll take commercial break. We'll be right back. All right, stick around. Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia. There's something for everyone on the beer list and the jukebox at McCusker's. It's minutes from the sports stadiums in Philly, making it a great place to stop by for a few drinks before or after a concert or a game. Come see for yourself why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy has called it one of the best dive bars in the city. Visit them at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia or on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. Cornell 77, that's what you were talking about earlier in the show. Yeah. How good that sounds. And that's from the official release that they put out a couple years ago. It sounds so is that great. Something, so is that something you had a bootleg of? I did. When oh, you were yeah. younger? And then they get oh, the, yeah. you know, like, like the real version, like the clean out of the soundboard version. Yep. 
yep, I I had a friend who was older than me that gave me like bootlegs of of Cornell like years and years and years ago. And it, you know, it sounds good, whatever, whatever, but it's nothing like when the Grateful Dead put the official release out. Like they put box sets out of it. They have it out on vinyl. They really did justice to it. Like um, really made it good, you know. That's another good point too, man. When you said they put out box sets, like some a couple of the stuff I was reading, they're talking about like concert stuff coming out. Like they would do the what they closed like the Winterland Ballroom. Oh yeah. Yeah, and the Winterland. Like and that was like, you know, that was a huge, a huge thing, like Billy Graham's spot. But then they were like, oh, we put out like a 70 CD box set <laughs> for yeah, like all these days. Yeah. And I was like, who buys that? And was They're like, out oh, there. They, they do, man. People go out and buy them. I know them. I know who they, I have friends. And I, I'm like, ooh, that's so cool. I wish I could buy it. I, I don't have anything. I can't do anything with it. Right. Maybe if if I got it on vinyl, it's like five hundred dollars on vinyl. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it comes with like five discs or whatever, five right. records. But it's yeah, like three hundred dollars. It's nuts. Like back when you know, like iTunes was a thing, and I used to be like meticulous with like all my iTunes stuff. Like had to be like named a certain way, and all my files. And I had after Springsteen, I think the Dead were the most. I you know, I had like. Gigs and gigs and gigs of bootlegs and concerts yeah. and stuff that I yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, I am total download guy, like with the live, with live yeah. shit. Not so much with the recording from the albums, but from all the live shit that they put out. If you go to Spotify and you look up the Grateful Dead, their whole library is on Spotify. Yeah, I'm not I, talking about the records. I'm talking about all the things we're talking about, like Cornell live from Cornell 77 has Europe 72 on there. You can just go there and listen to some of this right now. Yeah. There's like um the Dick's picks album. Dick's picks is another one. Was like I remember, I remember working at the record store, Bruce and the Dick's picks just start coming out yes. and we would have, we would have to special order them all the time. And, uh, and then, like years, like to come to us, like, I gotta, I gotta check these dicks, picks, grateful dead thing out. And it, I went, holy shit! No wonder it's all like volume five, and you know, right? Yeah, man. One of my favorite songs. I put it on the the only song I added to the playlist you put together was I put um Althea off the without. Oh Net. yeah, that's oh, that's yeah. my favorite dead song. And that's my favorite version of that song. I'm gonna play a little play bit it. of it. Play it. Told Althea I was feeling lost, lagging in some direction. Althea told me upon scrutiny that my back might need protection. Told Althea the church Yeah, Love dude. It. I yeah. yeah, I've seen them. I've seen versions of the Grateful Dead for the last twenty five years, dude. And every once in a while, I catch them doing that song, and I always get it like, "Yeah, this is the fucking jam." Yeah, yeah, I really you know, like it. The other thing that I don't think our audience knows, Bruce, um, about the Grateful Dead is every single night is a different show. 
Yes, we should have mentioned that too. That there is no like they don't even put together set lists when they go out on stage. They barely ever go off the set list because they they fly off some, doing something else instead of things because they go off the crowd. Um, but in the history of the Grateful Dead, they never repeated the same song twice, or they never repeated the same set twice. Right. Yeah, you, know, you could go. And if you want to hear like, oh, I like Althea or I like Sugary, you can go on Spotify and you're going to find a hundred different versions of it. Like I said, in the monologue, early in the show, they did over 500 different songs and they did like 25,000 songs live. So it's like you can and they recorded everything. Yeah. And it's all out there. If you look at that long, strange trip documentary, they go in the vaults. And they talk yes. about the they talk about the air system in the vaults, like what kind of air system it takes to protect you know, it, and protect the tapes. Dude, like that room, it's it's priceless. Like that, they probably have insurance out of the ass for for that. Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's a good um, like one of the th- cool things about doing this show is like, I mean, you can use m- music as you want to learn about history. You look at music, right? You want to learn about pop culture. You look at music. You want to learn about what was going on in politics. You look at music. Like you can use it to look at everything, and the dead really captures that, right? Because you can learn about I, the hippie movement and drugs, and you know, just like it's just really an avenue to learn about anything you want. Like you know, the, the Grateful Dead wasn't strangers of making of music of what was going on at the times. Even they even covered, or they didn't cover it. They made a disco song, you know, or disco-ish song, which is one of my favorite songs. It's called Shakedown Street. Um, it's by, very diverse, very different than anything we played so far. So check yeah. that out. Here you go. The sunny side of the street is dark. That beginning man sounds like it could be like in a seventies like cop show. Yeah, you know, it's like oh Shaft god, or yeah, Dolomite. Oh yeah, I think that's what they were going for. Yeah, you know, I think the Wah was was popular at the time. I I don't know what year specific year that song came out, but there was des- definitely the disco groove was floating around around the seventies when the song came out. Yeah, that album came out in seventy eight. There you go. So yeah, Mars Motel, right? Mars Motel. Uh, no, it's on the Shakedown Street album. Oh, what am I thinking? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Shakedown Street album. What am I talking about? The comic book guy's going to get me. Ready to kind of come get you. Yeah, Mars, Mars Hotel was uh, 74. And I only know that because I've got it in front of me. I don't know that off the top of my head. Well, let's so. play something off of Mars. Let's play U.S. Blues real fast. Yeah, man, sure. Here you go. Sam, how do you do? Give me five. I'm still alive. 
Take my it. pulse. <laughs> I'm sorry. I sing along when I hear it. No, bro. it's all good, man. I dig it. Um, I, it, That's a different kind of song, too. You know, a different feel than like Sugar Magnolia or uh, how we were saying Sugary. This, this is a totally different kind of song. Yeah, sure. I, it's my it's one of my favorite. I just like the whole Uncle Sam. That's who I am. Lyric. I dig that. I think that's just part of the allure of them too is like because they do change their music style so much like there can be you know acoustic stuff some country-ish kind of stuff you know we, we as we said before um another interesting thing about them too was all the stuff they've done with other bands too like right they dylan and the dead and they did dylan and stuff the stuff like dead. tom oh Eddie, yeah all kinds yep. of other stuff yeah i mean they're the grateful dead backed everybody up at one time or they've come, people have come and played with the Grateful Dead a lot. You know who played with the Grateful Dead a lot in the 80s? It was Clarence Clemens. Yes. Yes. He, At one he, point, I, I went down looking for, like, when did the Grateful Dead and Springsteen cross paths? And that was what I found was Clarence Clemens jamming with them a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that's part have, of their part of their lack of egos that they didn't care if we were like, all right, cool. We'll be the backing band for. No, they were, they were no, but to be the backup Dylan, be Dylan's backup band at some hardcore shit. Now the grateful dead cover Dylan so much. Um, what do we have? Watchtower on that list. Yeah. All along the watchtower, uh, Dylan and the dead. Let's play play that. Great shit, man. I know you don't like Dylan's voice. Yeah, but I was just thinking that. Like, I could do without his voice. Yeah, but it's all I, right. Yeah, I love that album, Dylan and the Dead. Uh, it's basically the, the Grateful Dead backing up Bob Dylan on his songs. And did, they did a tour. For what I heard, it was the Grateful Dead came out first, did the first set. And then the second set, Bob Dylan came out and they did all Bob Dylan songs. Right on. That's that's what I heard. The legend told me that that's yeah. what happened. I really uh, cool. yeah, um, but they were so famous in the eighties. They they were just like they got so famous. The scene got dangerous, you know. Um, now that they were on the radio all the time with Touch of Gray and MTV, a Touch of Gray. Now you have more people showing up at the gig that want to join the party. You have so many people coming to the gig. There's not enough tickets for them. They're asking people not to come to the show unless you have tickets, you know, and a really dark time in the Grateful Dead history. There was the gate crashers. Um, all the guys that didn't have tickets for the show, um, they all broke into, broke into the venue and mobbed and flash mobbed 
and got in the show for free. And that was one of the darkest days in Grateful Dead history. Like these motherfuckers, like ruining it for everybody. Yeah. Like they, I mean, ru- they ruined the whole scene for everybody. And they were at Altamont. You know, we talked about that a couple of times and some other shows yeah. too. And yeah, it was like, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I read an interview with Jerry after that. And he was kind of like, oh, shucks. Well, we're all responsible for, you know, people's behavior. And it's kind of like, no, man, like that. No, you're talking about a guy blame there. You're talking about a guy that doesn't want to even probably anything involved of being in charge. Yeah. You're talking about the guy. Now I thought on our let when we talked about Altamont on our show, I said the Grateful Dead fucked all that up. Right. They you know, went out famous, they everybody famously, out. famously the Grateful Dead didn't play because they were scared of the hell's angels. So they were like, fuck this. We're not playing. And then everybody sat around for three hours waiting for the stones to come on. Everybody got violent. Now, Dead could have came out and chilled everybody the fuck out, man. Yeah. They they blew that, in my opinion. They blew that. I agree. Yeah, that was that some whoever was in charge of the Altamont really fucked that whole thing up. Yep. That that was a dark day in history. Of rock and roll history. Rock and roll, absolutely. Uh, what else? Is that about it for the dead? We think we covered. Let's just play it. Let's, let's play that famous song. Casey Jones. Casey Jones. Yeah, we didn't play that yet. Here you go. It's another Robert Hunter lyric. Here you go. Driving that train. Driving that train. How cocaine. Casey Jones, you better watch your speed. Trouble and know that notion just crossed my mind this old it's another great song uh dude i mean uh that song is just as famous as touch of gray in my opinion yeah i think um, so too i i just think it's culturally known like even my father knows that song. Yeah. And he doesn't know shit about the Grateful Dead. <laughs> Grateful Dead. Yeah. Um, the one thing I think we didn't talk about, Bruce, um, we're going to talk about Jerry. Now, the thing Jerry was so mystical, his lyrics, the way he sang, everything about Jerry was magical. He had moments on stage that were cosmic. People thought he was a prophet. People worshipped him. Everywhere he went, everywhere he did, he was Jerry Garcia. Um, but the the mystery lies behind who was Jerry. Where do we get that? But I think who he was was he was the guy on stage, and he didn't know who he was off the stage. You know, like he didn't want to be responsible for this whole cultural thing. He just wanted everybody to have fun. Um, I want to play maybe one more song. Yeah, and sure. It's, it's it's little mystical. It's Jerry. The song's called Morning Dew. Let's play a little bit of it. Yeah, sure.
It's a shame we can't play the whole song. I mean, it's long, you know. Yeah, it's, it's like 12 it's, minutes it's, long. It's, it's really slow. But hey, kitty cat. It's really <laughs> slow. Um, but he says at the end of it, which it just doesn't matter anyway. And that's the last lyrics he says in that song. And how right is it at the end of it? It just doesn't matter in the end. Yeah. And it, there's so many examples that Jerry's Mystic Jerry songs, you know, um, Morning Dew is just a prime example. There's plenty of other Jerry Mystical songs out there. You just have and to Jerry, look for them. And Jerry also, too, like, I mean, Beyond the Dead, he did so much other stuff, man. Like, all these, yeah. the Jerry Garcia band, a lot of that stuff is great. Very famous, very the, famous recordings with Jerry Garcia David, band. The David Grissom stuff, he, you know, the kids I love, albums. I love that. Um, all the bluegrass albums he did with him. Yeah. There, there's a documentary called Grateful Dog, and it's about the last sessions of Jerry and what's his name? David Grissom. Yeah, their last sessions as bluegrass players. But it's it's really good. Grateful Grateful Dog, D A W G. I have to check it out. The um the stuff he did like a whole bunch of those albums with Merle Saunders, the, the okay. jazz musician, and I love yeah. that stuff. It's just really oh cool. yeah. But that's how introverted he was. He could go out and play rock and roll, and then just play this fucking thing that only Jerry can do by yeah. by with playing it with another band. All good stuff, man. Really, really cool. Um, I love the Grateful Dead. It's a way of life. It really think, saved my it saved my life, bro. It I saved you, my life. I think you did him well tonight talking about him. So, uh, hey man, I've been waiting right. to put this show on for two years. Oh, I know it's been on the list for quite a while. So now I n- got around to do it. Now I got to get you to do a fish episode. Yeah, I still have that book you you lent me. I had to I had to read that. Still, it's on my bookshelf behind me. Oh no, there's no rush on the book. I just rather you listen to the music. Yeah, I've, I've I haven't listened to them very much since uh, we were working together in the music store and the double line came you. out. And you, you played it all the time, but uh, I was just I was just telling that story at the Fish concert the other night, how me and that dude worked at the record store and we both loved Fish, so he would put the first album in and I put the second album in, and yes. every fucking song would come on would be Fish. And yes. the, and the customers were like, "What the fuck is this? Turn it yep. off! Turn yep. it off!" Yep, I remember. I, and I was remember. like, "You're you don't know what you're talking about." Uh, all right, uh, music news, man. I only got one story, and that's around the Pantera reunion. So, Pantera announced that they're getting back together. Well, you know, it's the it's Phil and the other dude, Rex. and they're gonna Rex, and they're gonna be playing with Charlie. Benantine, Benin Anthrax from Anthrax, Benante, Benante. I'm sorry, I'm Benante. His name, Benante. I'm sorry, I should have looked that up before. And Zach Wild from you know uh, Ozzy, Ozzy's band. So um, people were like really dunking on the, like it's a money grab and and yeah, I I, I see that, I see that I, be the money grab thing. I I just don't know how you can have 
call it Pantera without the original Pantera guys. Yeah, I mean, you know, or like Dime, the most the most important guys in the band are dead. Right, the, right. Dimebag was such a amazing guitar player, and his brother, yeah, the two of them, and also, I mean, the circumstances under which Dimebag died. But I mean, bands also move on with other people right like it was on my facebook memories the other uh like two days ago like i went and saw queen with adam lambert i mean it wasn't yeah. called queen it was queen plus adam lambert but yeah. still, you know like bands bands move on all the time i i think the heavy metal snobs were being a little comic book guy about it I, yeah F- phil's also an asshole phil is an I, ass he's a scumbag he's a shitbag of the week yeah yeah he's he is a shitbag hang on i think i could i could play that Shitbag of the week. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, he's a bad dude. Um, yeah, I don't know if I want to give him my money. Just all his. No, no, I, I'm not. Bullshit. I'm not going. I'm not going to that reunion show. It's not a reunion show to me. And I love Charlie Benedatte. Whatever how you say his Italian last name. Um, he is one of my favorite drummers of all time. Um, does he? Will he do Vinnie Paul justice? Absolutely. Absolutely, will he do justice? Do I think Zach Wilde gonna give fucking dime bag justice? No fucking way. As much as you want them to rock, Zach Wilde is not dime bag. I know they were best friends and they experimented a lot together with pedals and all this shit. And they were brothers in in guitar world, you know. But yeah. I guess I I don't know how I feel about it. I don't care. I, 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 it just looks at me. I'm like, oh, look what they're doing. Isn't that stupid? Yeah, I don't know, man. If it, it's been 20 years since they toured, I, I, I don't know. I saw them on the on the Further Power tour, and I don't have to see them again because I saw them do Walk when it first came out. Right. Yeah, I saw them yeah. with White Zombie years, like a zillion years ago. Um, yeah. Brian Stull, who listens to our show, sent a, like shared an art, a whole article with us about like Phil and kind of what a scumbag he is, and yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm on the fence about that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure. Hey, I'm sure they can go out there and grab the money from the people that want to celebrate the Pantera music. You know, there's they are out there. They will go to the concert. They will support it. Yep. You know, just you know, if you're for Pantera, support them. Yep. If right on. if not if not still pay attention to it. Yeah. All right. I got some second thoughts. So we got two things on second thoughts. Uh, Bib Lola emailed us to our website. Said, "Hey Bruce, Summertime is a cover from a pretty well known opera." And then sent me the link to George Gershwin. So that was Summertime by Janis Joplin. We talked about in the last episode. Yes. Yes. And uh, I think. Uh, Doug had asked if it was a cover, and I was like, "No, no, no! It's a Joplin song." And I was wrong. It's actually based on a George Gershwin song from oh, well. Porgy and from Porgy and Bess. I can I can play a Porgy little bit. Of it. I, yeah, I haven't listened to this at all, but a little. I'm just skipping to play like something that sounds like it. This is Lana Del Rey covering it. Okay, I'm not a Gershwin guy. I I I think i appreciate what he means in music i just i don't like musicals i don't listen to a lot of it no interesting but but the what we were talking about with janice joplin doing it um i think we were more saying how she made it her own instead of like 
instead of like who cares who wrote it she made it her own she made it famous in pop culture yeah you know? um it was it, it's just one of those songs it's a yeah yeah still, Great summer still appreciated song. i still appreciate thanks for writing in and uh point me in the right direction i was i kind of dismissed it i'm like no it was a Jan- janice wrote it wrote it and that's whatever i pulled up on the internet you know and i looked it up as we were talking so um and I got one. We got another email from Tim. So he was commenting when I said something about like we should do a Pet Sounds in a Beatles album. Um, so the guy said, "Hey guys, you talked about doing a show on Pet Sounds versus the Beatles album, and you were debating which one. You guys were all sort of right." So Brian Wilson said Pet Sounds was inspired by Rubber Soul. He heard that album and said he had to make one good or better. And then Pet Sounds had an influence on Sgt. Pepper's. When Brian Wilson heard Strawberry Fields, he gave up on recording Smile. By the way, Paul McCartney said God Only Knows is his favorite song in the history of music. So I don't know where that uh, leaves us. We'll do we'll do the episode. I don't know which album we do I, it to. I, I Pet Sounds to me, I listen dude, I listen to it regularly. It's part of my 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 uh, routine is listening to the Pet Sounds once a week. I don't know why it's been on my record player for months. And if you never listen to Pet Sounds, you're missing out. And you just think the Beach Boys, the surf music, when they were so much more, there was so much more. Like, out there were my number two American best rock and roll band. I I agree, man. It's a great album. Even the story around Smile and how that was supposed to be his masterpiece, and like that's yeah. an interesting story too. But we'll yeah. we'll get around to talking about them for sure. So. You ever see that movie Love and Mercy? I did not. Um, it's about John Cusack plays Brian Wilson, and it's about Brian Wilson's later life, like how he was brainwashed by the psychiatrist, yeah, and how he was just locked away in his room. John Cusack plays him great. Plays a great thing. Yeah, I think it's on Amazon or I believe it's on Netflix. All right, cool. I'll check it yeah. out. Uh, the Electric Chair. So the Electric Chair is a segment where we kill a song for being terrible. I got one. This so yes, I was away at Boy Scout camp uh, last week in the woods with a bunch of teenagers. I'm a scoutmaster of my kids' Boy Scout troop, and we went white water rafting. And as we were whitewater rafting, you know, the kids, one of the young, one of the little kids in front of us in the raft stood up in the front of the raft and did the Titanic pose with the arms out. Oh, God. And I had this moment. I was like, oh, that shitty song from Titanic. We haven't killed that yet. Oh, uh, God. I mean, and this song, dude, was everywhere. Dude, do you remember the version they put out with the dialogue from the movie yes. that was pasted into it? Yes. It was like I was working somewhere and they start playing. I wanted to kill myself. Like now the song's bad enough and now I got to hear Leo DiCaprio. I love you, Rose. Don't ever give up. <laughs> we, um, I mean, we were working in the music store when this came out. And I, I have somebody sent me that we used to work with sent me the picture of it. Like we did the whole like the cash register we did as the boat. And we all like dressed <laughs> like uh, the tuxedo place in the mall. Let us all. They gave us tuxedos. And we're all dressed up like we're the first class passengers in the store. That's and, uh, you know, it was out like coming out of like VHS tape, like 97 or something. But this song, man, was was just. Oh, fucking, dude, it was everywhere. Awesome. 
She's still making money off of it. She's yeah, right. She she sucks. This song's terrible. All right, let's just kill it. I don't need to hear it again. We sentence you to death. Man. Ah, man. Woo! Yeah. There's some smelly flames coming off. (laughs) So that's uh, it. Yeah, that was the Grateful Dead, right? Yeah, that's it for episode 44. So if you are looking to hear some Grateful Dead, man, we got you covered. We got we put together a playlist with every episode. You can check it out. There's a link in show in the show notes. You can also go in the show notes for a link to our social media and our website and our email. You know, if you like what you hear, man, we'd love it if you follow us on your favorite podcast platform or you left us a review or tell somebody about us. And yeah, you know, if you don't want to do that, you can always reach out to us. We love hearing from everybody. We read as many as the comments as we can on the air. We love we love just keeping the dialogue up. So that's about it, man. We'll be back with two in two weeks with some more insight and entertainment. So thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us through some of the quality issues. We're going to be back sounding a little bit better in two weeks. All right, everybody, keep on rock. Peace out. I'm just a prisoner. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.